0: Alright, tell me if you know where uh, this is from. I'm going to read something. Tell me if you think you know where it's from. (laughs) We're on a mission (laughs) to share all that God can do. We'll be a witness to his power and his plan. Who knows what I'm talking about? I'll say it in a different way. You might understand this. We're on a mission to share all that God can do. We will go, go with the, what's this from? Holy Spirit, we will go. All right, if you don't know where that's from, it is from VBS. If you knew the hand motions and you didn't do it, come on. I was depending on you guys. Um, This summer was beautiful for, um, that song was actually really stuck in my head. I still sometimes sing like, Spark Studios. Um, But we sing this song about going out, that we'll be a witness to his power and his plan and we'll follow where he leads. And we can sing that as we take care of the young children and children's worship. But what about for us? Do we actually practice what we sing? And I think as we sing words, we should actually mean it. And so I have a question that I want us to think about today. We can have the next slide for us. Are you wasting your life right now? Think about where your life direction is going right now. Are you wasting your life that maybe you believe God has given you, maybe a lot of time, resources, talents? Are you wasting your life? Wouldn't that be a tragedy if at the end of your life you realized you wasted it? that it was gone to nothing. That maybe you accomplished certain things in life, but you missed out on the ultimate thing. And I think as Christians, we don't want to waste our lives. As Christians, there is a way that we can make the most of our life on this very, very short earth. None of us know how long we'll live, whether it's 80 years or another year. Are we afraid of wasting your life? And today i want to talk about what it means to actually make the most of our life as christians because this is just the dress rehearsal eternal life that's forever that's the main thing 70 years sounds like a long time but compared to eternity 70 80 90 years will be gone in just a second so do you want to know what it means to make the most of your life and that's what i want to talk about today if you have the next slide here's my sermon preview For today, I'm actually going to give you the two main points, but I'm going to expand on that uh, throughout today's message. So the first point, if you want to make the most of your life, live for Jesus. We all know this answer. It's very general. I'm going to unpack what that means. We live for Jesus. And number two, we actually need to die for Jesus. I'm going to explain what that means. It's not a reckless type of living. But if we live our lives that Jesus, even our life and in our death, we glorify him what would that look like and so those are the two main points but throughout today's sermon i'm going to unpack that for what that means because maybe you're sitting here right now maybe you are a believer and you don't want to waste your life you want to make the most of it especially now in junior high and in high school and if you're not a christian i hope at least you'll sit here today and you'll understand why we believe jesus is worth it why jesus is worth giving our lives away there's nothing better so today we're gonna read what well, he has read second timothy already this was a letter that paul wrote to his uh protege his padawan his pastor in training and timothy wrote this with urgency if you didn't know why Timothy or paul knew that he would soon be executed imagine that if you knew your time was near and you're writing a letter to maybe your best friend You would probably write with the most important things that you want your friend to to know and understand. And that's what Paul writes with this urgency. He wants his pastor in trading, his Padawan, his protege, to take seriously these words. And I think they will apply to us as well in the church. So like in any letter, um, it's called an epistle. So that's like a letter in the New Testament. And it usually begins with a greeting and usually a thanksgiving. And if you read Galatians, Ephesians, Colossians, it all starts off with a greeting and possibly a thanksgiving. So I want to explain that before I jump into what it means to live for Jesus and die for Jesus. So if you have the next slide, oh, it's actually even smaller than I thought. Sorry if you can't read that, but it's on your your bulletin. But you'll see that the greeting verses 1 to 2, Paul identifies himself, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. If you know Paul, you know that formerly, his name was Saul. And in fact, he didn't follow Jesus. He persecuted Jesus and his followers. But now God saved him. Once an enemy, now he is he is a friend of Jesus. And he was mentoring a young pastor and training named Timothy. And so he addresses to Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Lord. And after that, he goes into the thanksgiving. Sometimes letters uh, start off like that. in your emails are like, hey, Mr. Uh, Kim, thanks for your being such a great teacher in English, um, yada, yada, yada. So you start with a greeting and a thanksgiving. That's normally how we do things um, on earth or in this life. And that's what Paul does. And so Paul's thanksgiving to Timothy is, I thank God whom I serve, as did my ancestors, with a clear conscience, as I remember you constantly in my prayers night and day. As I remember your tears, I long to see you, that I may be filled with joy. This doesn't mean that Paul was praying 24-7. That's every second of the day he was praying. If he did that, well, how could he go to different cities and share the gospel? It simply means that whenever Paul did pray, which was frequently, he would bring up Timothy. And he longed to see Timothy again. Verse 4, as I remember your tears, I long to see you that I may be filled with joy. Remember, Paul is in prison. He, know, he knows that he will soon be executed, and he wants to see his friend, Timothy, again. And Paul uh, gives credit that his faith is genuine because of his mother, um, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. It all makes him very, very joyful. You know, I kind of go through this a lot sometimes when seniors graduate and go into college. I know the UCs, some of the students uh, moved in this past weekend. I always hold my breath the first couple of months or first couple of years, because as much as maybe students were consistent in Unicoi, Sunday school, youth service, you just never know what happens when students are giving, are given freedom. They're given the ability to live apart from their parents and they can choose, will I go to church or will I sleep in? Will I make Christian friends or will I go down to the party in the hallway in my dorm? I always hold my breath, but what makes me so happy is when I see students thriving in college, when their faith is well. And I think in a similar sense, Paul experiences this to a much more intense degree because Paul's in prison, he knows his time is near, but he sees that Timothy has actually thrived in his faith, whereas other um, companions in the past have actually deserted Paul but Timothy has stuck by him. And so Paul, because of that, wants to see Timothy one last time. So he gives the commands to uh, Timothy, live for Jesus, die for Jesus, and we're gonna see what that looks like. So let's have the next slide, we'll jump into the first points. Living for Jesus, at the bottom is um, me fleshing that out. God will give you a spirit of power, love, and self-control to courageously live your life to make Jesus known. Let me read that verse so you guys know where I'm getting that. Verse 6 to 7. For this reason, I remind you, talking to Timothy, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. It's pretty scary to live out our faith. Wouldn't you say that? It's pretty scary to be bold about our faith. Timothy, who could always rely on his mentor, Paul, no longer has Paul. Paul is in prison, and Timothy is now on his own. And we have reason to believe that Timothy was actually maybe fearful or timid, because why would Paul say in verse 7 that for God gave us a spirit, not of fear? So Paul's almost implying, Timothy, I know you're afraid. I know you're fearful. I know that it's hard that I'm not here with you to help you but it's not about whether or not I'm here. It's about God. God is giving you the power a spirit, not of fear, but of power, love, and self-control. So now fan it into flame. So God gives you the power, but you still have to use it. So for example, imagine something in your house is broken. You need a hammer, but you don't have a hammer. And your neighbor comes to you and gives you a hammer. So you have all the tools needed to fix what's broken in your house but you still have to use that hammer. As Christians, God has given you the power, a spirit of power, love, and self-control, but you still have to choose to lean into that spirit of power, love, and self-control. Otherwise, it'll just gather dust, and it'll be underutilized, and you will have wasted your life. That phrase, fan into flame, the gift of God, it refers to an act of rekindling a dying fire, We've all been at bonfires when it's beginning to die, and you add more fuel or wood to it, and it begins to grow again. So, fanning into flame communicates the act of um, maintaining and developing this gift that God has given you. So, you can live for Jesus, not because of your willpower, but because of God's power. God's power is in you. So, will you live for Him? Often in the Bible, God empowers people to fulfill his ministry. That when God, in his spirit of power, he can make timid people, quiet people, introvert people, courageous enough to use authority boldly and courageously because God's power is made perfect in your weakness. God will give you a spirit of love that God can help you love even the most annoying of people, the most cruel of people. God can help you love your enemies. God also gives you a spirit of self control that if you want to live the Christian life, you also have to have discipline in your own life as you walk with Jesus every single day in reading the Bible and in prayer. So, because God has given you a spirit of power, love, and self control, will you now fan to flame this gift? Now, that begs the question what is the gift? What is the gift in verse 6 that Paul is referring to? We've all been given a gift, but we have to know what it is. Now, I was reading different commentaries, and people have different opinions. Some people think that maybe it was an ordination gift, because it refers to the laying on of hands when a pastor is commissioned. Sometimes other pastors will lay their hands on them, pray for them. So perhaps it was an ordination gift. Maybe it was a special anointing of the Holy Spirit for a special task. Or maybe it was the gift of teaching and leading a church. Now, all those gifts are kind of related, but I think the one that makes most sense is the gift of teaching and leading a church. Because that's what Timothy had to do once Paul was now in prison. And some of you guys might be sitting here thinking, well, this sermon seems like it's geared towards pastors. I'm not a pastor. What does this sermon have to do with me? I first want to say to that, don't count out what God can do with your life. If you had told me in junior high and high school that God would call me into the ministry, I would have laughed at you because um, I was the farthest thing away from that calling in junior high and high school. You may be surprised how God uses you in your life. I fully hope to see that God calls missionaries, pastors, and leaders in the church out of some of you guys. Secondly, even if you're not called to be a pastor or missionary, you also have a gift. Perhaps not to be a pastor, but you have a spiritual gift to build up the church. And you can choose to stay at home in fear and stay on the sidelines, so to speak, and not use your gifts. Or you can choose to get off the bench and to get on the field as God is calling you to use your gift to build his kingdom. So which one will you choose? Will you stay on the sidelines your entire life? or will you make something of your life? This begs the question, well, what is my spiritual gifts? Let me just run down a couple spiritual gifts that are identified in the Bible. And I wonder if there's something that maybe you identify with. So let's have the next slide, just uh, hit next as I explain each uh, spiritual gift. The first one is administration. It is quite small, I'm sorry about that. So administration is the ability to organize, direct, and implement plans to lead others. So you're organized. Uh, Apostleship, so someone who is a trailblazer, who is a visionary, who um, can start new ministries, go to places where people haven't heard of Jesus, establish churches, something like that. Uh, Discernment, to have the wisdom to know that behavior or teaching is consistent with scripture. Uh, Evangelism, ability and desire um, to share the good news. Everybody is called to share the good news, but some people are well-suited and just are focused on outreach. They're willing to talk to different people, strangers, friends about the gospel. Exhortation and encouragement, that someone who can strengthen and lift up those who are struggling. This is the friend that when you're going through something difficult, you wanna to talk to this friend because they know how to encourage you. Faith, uh, not the faith of salvation if you're a Christian, but the faith that God does and will do a miracle. And even if he doesn't, your faith in God will not waver because you truly have this confidence in God. A giving, someone who is generous and is able to share what God has given them, not just finances, but maybe possessions. So maybe the person who's always sharing their food, maybe they have the gift of giving. Uh, Helping, someone who says to you, hey, like I'm willing to help and you ask, okay, what are you good at or whatever? And you just say, well, whatever there's a need. That person might have a gift of helping wherever there's a need. Uh, Knowledge. Someone with the love to study scripture and maybe has a grasp on complicated subjects. A leadership, someone who's not necessarily just in charge of people, but they have a care for God's people and is willing to sacrifice time and energy to help them grow. A mercy, someone who shows compassion to the hurting and wants to help people who are actually really struggling. Pastoring, called and empowered by God to care for the spiritual well-being of church. Service, Someone who's willing to do behind-the-scenes tasks, so that's maybe related to helping. Uh, teaching, the gift of teaching, instructing, explaining, communicating God's word in an effective way. And uh, wisdom, understanding a situation from a biblical perspective in confusing or stressful situations. So take a moment now, just look at this list. Is there a gift that you sense, I wonder if God has gifted me in this way? I wonder if God has maybe blessed me with certain uh, personality traits that I lean towards one of these. And you might be surprised because you guys are still developing and growing as people. A gift you might not have now, years from now, you might discover you actually have. For me, it was teaching. In junior high and high school, like many people, I hated public speaking. I would begin to um, laugh because I couldn't finish my speech because I was embarrassed or I was laughing at what I was saying. And, um, I didn't think I would enjoy public speaking or teaching, but sometimes you have to do something, get feedback and you realize this is kind of fun. And that took years for me to really, um, enjoy that. You know, administration, I'm not organized, but God has blessed me with growing a little bit to be competent in, I think, understanding the picture of things. So where do you think you're gifted at? And I'd even like, um, identify more of like the Other gifts in life, like if you're good with technology, if you're artistic, if you like photography, cooking, those might not be, I guess, spiritual gifts, but they can be used for a spiritual purpose. Like if you like photography, you take pictures for an event just to bless the people who uh, showed up. So what are some gifts that you think you have? The next slide, I wanna challenge you, use your spiritual gifts. That's how you fan into flame your gift of God. Because, like the physical body, you either use it or lose it. If you don't exercise for a couple weeks, you'll you'll lose that strength. You have to keep maintaining and using and exercising to maintain that strength. It's, It's the same thing with your spiritual gifts. Will you use the gift of God that He has given to you, or will it rust? Will it gather dust? And there's a lot of different ways. Uh, our moderators, they shared about ways you can serve in youth service. AV, worship, welcome, moderator. Even today on the worship team, we saw new faces, which is really, really awesome. But it doesn't have to be an official serving uh, capacity. Maybe it's bearing the burdens of a friend who is struggling. You don't need a official role for that. If you see someone hurting, you can just ask how they're doing. <clears throat> you could stack chairs once a month on Fridays or after church on Sundays when we're combined. You can, if you see a stranger, first time at church, or you don't recognize them, introduce yourself to them. Ask their name, what school, what grade they go to, because you can help them actually feel loved here at this church. You could actually sing. That's a way to serve your fellow peers, because I truly believe, I read this in an article, the church suffers when your voice is silent. When your voice is silent during singing, the church suffers, but when you sing, it blesses others, that you believe the words that we are singing on the um, uh, for the lyrics. So are you putting your spiritual gifts to good use? I don't think a hero is just someone who can wield a magic hammer, who can fly in the sky. We all watch these superhero movies because they use their gifts for good. I do believe you all have gifts. Are you using it for good? Are you using it to glorify God and to live for Jesus? So that's what it means to live for Jesus. Now I want to talk about what it means to die for Jesus. And I want to explain that carefully because I don't want us to get the wrong idea. Let's go to the next slide. What does it mean to die for Jesus? Let's have the next point, which is verses 8. Let's read verses 8 right now. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. We'll stop there. So Paul gives a negative command and a positive command. It's like if your parents were to say, hey, stop stealing candy from 168, and instead a positive command, volunteer at the food drive at your local high school. So there's a negative command, a positive command. Here, Paul said the negative command is, do not be ashamed of Jesus, nor of me, or of his, of his followers. But instead, the positive command, share in suffering for the gospel. So because Timothy has a genuine faith, because he is called to use his gifts, fans to flame, to build up the church, now he must embrace the call to perhaps die for the name of Jesus. In a sense, to suffer for the name of Jesus That he must not be ashamed. That if you are a Christian, if you thought that was just a get out of hell card and you can live your own life however you want, you are sorely mistaken. Being a Christian is not just a get out of hell card. Yes, that is a blessing. I'm really glad I'm saved from hell and saved into heaven. But you're also called to live for Jesus. And that means you will suffer. If you haven't suffered yet, perhaps. You have been hiding your faith or just wait because suffering will come to you. People will view you differently if you call yourself a Christian. They will view you differently for believing in a God, for believing that the world is created in seven days, for believing um, on your convictions on sexuality according to the Bible. They will see you differently on your stance on abortion. They will see you differently when you choose not to share your answers on your homework or your test. If you actually live for Jesus, you will suffer, you will be viewed differently. So some of us, maybe we're okay living for Jesus, but are you willing to die for Jesus? Are you willing to suffer for him, to suffer for his name's sake? Paul tells us that we don't just do this by our own willpower, we do it by God power. Look at that last verse of that phrase, sure in the suffering for the gospel, Not by your own willpower. Instead it says by the power of God. If you are afraid of what it means to live out your faith publicly, rest assured, it's not all on you. The power of God will equip you. The power of God will strengthen you. You might be afraid, but be encouraged that God's power will go with you. And I want to unpack even what that means. So if we go to the next slide. Um, Oh, actually, I forgot to share this. So God will empower you to suffer in his name by helping you understand your story and his grand story of redemption. Uh, Don't change the slides yet. Let me give him time to write this down. If you understand that you were not just a life here, but you actually have a role in God's plan for history. Imagine God is writing a book, and he's writing characters, and he writes a certain character with a certain character arc who will go through different paths in life That is you. If we believe God is sovereign, and that he is in control, and that he is writing the pages of history, then we have to believe that this is just, our life is not just random. That God is authoring the story of our life. And if we understand the greater story, we can understand our personal story in these few years we have left in this life. So, uh, let's go to the next slide. Um... So the first uh, point on the top, we will find strength to suffer for God by remembering the Father's plan and the Son's victory. That's what Paul is going to unpack in verses 9 to 10. Let me read this for us right now. A God who saved us and called us to a holy calling, not because of our works, but because of his own purpose and grace, which he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began and which now has been manifested through the peering of our savior Christ Jesus who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel so what does it mean when we remember the father's plan and the son's victory well you remember the, the father's plan from the very beginning think of when you first became a believer was it this past year was it years ago when you were in a vbs let me ask you guys a question. Just think in your own head. Did you choose God or did God choose you? Maybe in your timeline of your memory, you think, well, I chose God. I asked, I asked uncle and auntie so-and-so, like, yes, I want to be a Christian. And we pray this prayer. I chose God. In a sense, there's a degree of truth to that because we do have free will. But when we read the Bible and we read this verse, we see that God actually chose you. And the only reason that you chose God was because God opened your heart to see his beauty, to choose him. And if you're in the junior and senior science classes, this is a doctrine of Calvinism, TULIP, um, and this is all coming together. We see this in scripture. Christianity, your Christian faith, it's not like taking a class that you can choose between taking APUSH or U.S. History, that you can just add it on to your list of responsibilities in life. We see that if you chose to follow Jesus is because God chose you that before the ages began look at that verse he gave us in Christ Jesus before the ages began so before the universe was even created before God even said let there be lights you were on God's mind he had chosen and called you for his holy purpose not because of your works but because of his purpose and grace. So you did not choose Jesus and God did not choose you because God looked at humanity and said, oh, uh, this person seems like a teachable person. Like, oh, this person seems like a decent person. Then that would be salvation by works, but this is salvation by grace. God chooses you according to his own purpose and grace. So when you look to the past, your life, your faith is a result of from eternity past. The father chose you to be a part of his redemptive plan. But what about the future? What about the son's victory? So if the father's plan reminds us of our past, of our history, the son's victory reminds us of the future. Let me reread verses um, uh, Verses 10. Um, And which now has been manifested through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who abolished death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. So if God, the Father's plan, reminds us of the past, the Son's victory gives us hope for the future. That because Jesus appeared on earth, lived a perfect life, died an undeserving death for sinners, rising again on the third day and defeated death, he secured immortality and eternal life to those who believe in him. So if you have trusted in Jesus, you will have immortality and eternal life. Does that that not give you confidence to live your life for him? Let me ask you a question. What do you have to lose? Your reputation? Your friends? Your status? How people view you? Even your own life? if you have jesus you will be saved you will be vindicated at the end of life so will you suffer knowing that the father's plan has a role for you to play and the son's victory guarantees your future victory do you believe that and now it's your turn to think about that question you can go to the next slide now it's your turn let's read the final two verses verses 11 to 12, through the gospel for which I was appointed a preacher and apostle and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do. But I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. So remember, Paul's in prison. He knows he's going to die. He knows he's going to be Executed, But verse 12, I'll read that again. This is why I suffer as I do. I am not ashamed for I know whom I have believed. Because Paul knows Jesus, he can suffer. You know how you're able to suffer? Do you remember whom you have believed? If you do, you will have a confidence that even if your lo- life is lost on this earth, you will have eternal life because of Jesus. I'm convinced that Christians, not just teenagers, but Christians in the West, in America, are afraid of suffering for the name of Christ and doing difficult things for the name of Christ because they love two things. They love comfort and they love safety. Because you love comfort and because we love safety, we stay in our little bubble and we don't want to get out and suffer and live and die for the name of christ we stay in our happy place and because of that we stay on the sidelines so if i wear a christian t-shirt to school what will my friends think about me if i join christian club what will my friends think of me especially if they tag me on social media if i invite my friends to church they'll think i'm super religious and maybe a freak if i pray before i eat people think i'm kind of weird if i sing really loud during worship people will judge me and they'll look down on me did you notice in all those statements the name of Jesus wasn't even mentioned we are far too easily obsessed with comforts safety perhaps even entertainment we want to be entertained to death perhaps this is why Christians in the West are so afraid of suffering while Christians around the world embrace suffering as a reality for the christian life after all didn't jesus say in john 15 if the world hates you remember that it hated me first the world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it but you are no longer part of the world i chose you to come out of the world so it hates you since they the world persecuted me they will persecute you if you love jesus the world will hate you But if the world loves you, perhaps it has revealed that you belong to the world and you are of the world. Which one are you? Are you willing to suffer and perhaps even die for the faith of Jesus because you know whom you have believed? I referenced just now that there are Christians around the world who readily accept the fact that they will suffer as Christians. There's a pastor, named Pastor Wang Yi from China in Early Covenant Church in Chengdu in 2018. He and 100 other members of of his congregation, they were um, arrested and they were charged with illegal business operations, which is holding church. And after his arrest, the church released a statement that he wrote in the events anything like this would happen. Uh, let me read what he wrote, if you can have that next slide. As a pastor, my firm belief in the gospel my teaching and my rebuking of all evil proceeds from christ's command in the gospel and from the unfathomable love of that glorious king every man's life is extremely short and god fervently commands the church to lead and call any man to repentance who is willing to repent christ is eager and willing to forgive all who turn from their sins this is the goal of all the efforts of the church in china to testify to the world about our Christ, to testify to the middle kingdom about the kingdom of heaven, to testify to earthly momentary lives about heavenly eternal life. This is also the pastoral calling that I have received. Let's go to the next slide. Those who lock me up will one day be locked up by angels. Those who interrogate me will finally be questioned and judged by Christ. When I think of this, The Lord fills me with the natural compassion and grief toward those who are attempting to and actively imprisoning me. Pray that the Lord would use me, that he would grant me patience and wisdom, that I might take the gospel to them. Separate me from my wife and children, ruin my reputation, destroy my life and my family. The authorities are capable of doing all these things. However, no one in this world can force me to renounce my faith. No one can make me change my life, and no one can raise me from the dead. Jesus is the Christ, son of the eternal living God. He died for sinners and rose to life for us. He is my king and the king of the whole earth yesterday, today, and forever. I am his servant, and I am in prison because of this. I will resist in meekness those who resist God, and I will joyfully violate all laws that violate God's laws. I want everyone to give me 10 seconds of your lasered focus right now. If you're on your phones, get off your phones. If you're on your iPad, get off your iPad. If you're talking to your friend, stop talking to your friend. This is the faith, the reality of Christians. Paul today, they are suffering and being thrown in prison. He is still in prison. A nine-year sentence. He has accepted the call to live and die for Jesus. For Christians in the West, we are withering like cowards because we love our comforts and our safety and i challenge you out of love do you truly love jesus if you sit on the sidelines your entire life and you refuse to live and use your gifts for the name of jesus think about those words my hope for all of you is that you would live your life and make it count and not waste it This pastors Separate from his family for another eight, seven years, 2018, will you live for Jesus? Here's my big idea for today. The power of God empowers you to courageously live and die for the name of Jesus. Many of you will walk out this door, life will be normal. You'll go back to playing your video games. You'll go back to idolizing school. You'll go back to being with your friends. And you'll just walk out when the gospel calls you to live a life worthy of him. What will you do? Let me pray first. Lord, as we listen to your words of a man who knows his death is coming and he encourages his child in the faith to live for Jesus and to die for Jesus. Lord, you know my heart breaks that these young men and women here have not truly grasped that yet, at least some of them, perhaps the majority of them, that this is just another Sunday, tomorrow is just another week of school, just get good grades, make your parents happy, go to good college, get married and then die. I fear, Lord, that they will have wasted their life. Lord, will you set a fire in their hearts to, to fan into flame their gift, their spiritual gift, to build up the church, to make something of their life, as other brothers and sisters in the faith are doing around the world? What are we doing in the West? What are we doing in Walnut and Diamond Bar and Roland and Chino Hills? Will we live and die for Jesus? Lord, help us, give us your power, your love, and your self-control to do that. Lord, I beg you to give us this strength. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.